Good morning, everybody. Good morning. So good to see everybody here at River City. My name is Antramika Knight, and I have the pleasure of welcoming you, welcoming you this morning. Um, here at River City, we start out each Sunday reading from the lectionary. And the lectionary is kind of a daily schedule of readings in which um, is a way to connect and get closer to the word. Um, the way we incorporate the lectionary here is on Sundays, we read one of the Psalms um, and try to really turn our hearts to the fact that the church is a global view. Um, so there's churches all over the world who are incorporating the lectionary in their service and things they do during the week. Um, today's lectionary reading Psalm 14 is really interesting. And I just, as I read it, I wanna have you all pay attention to verses five and six. And in those verses, it really speaks to sometimes what's in our heart when we see or feel as though the people who are godless or the people who say they aren't Christians are kind of feeling like they're taking advantage of Christians. And this Psalm of David really answers that question and reminds us that God is there for us and has a plan for us. Um, so it starts off by saying, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt, they do abominable deeds, there is none who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. They have turned, they have all turned aside, together they have become corrupt, there is none who does good, not even one. Have they no knowledge, all the evildoers who eat up my people as they eat bread and do not call upon the Lord? There they are in great terror, for God is with the generation of the righteous. You, sh you would shame the plans of the poor, but the Lord is his refuge. Oh, that salvation for Israel would come out of Zion when the Lord restores the fortune of his people. Let Jacob rejoice, let Israel be glad. If we can bow our heads in prayer. Lord, we thank you for this Sunday. Thank you for all those who are here at River City, those who are visiting for the first time. They are welcome here, Lord. We invite them to you, Lord. We invite them through the worship experience, through the worship songs, through the message, Father God. May this Sunday be a reminder of not only spiritual formation, but living in love, creating space, and also community transformation. We thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. but I was determined to have my last prayers with people. <laughs> um, I just want to tell you all them, how proud I am of you and for all the stories that you have invited me into, joy that you of faith and struggle and pain and joy that you keep showing up. And I want to continually encourage you that his love is a firm foundation and it is on that that things must stand um, so I do want to pray this morning it's not all about me <laughs> um, so God we 
we just say you command our destiny. We say that in faith. We say that in hope. We take the time to allow foundations that are faulty or wrong just crumble. Let everything crumble at your feet, God, so that your love can be the only thing. And so as we pray for the global church today, let your love be a firm foundation of your church. As we pray for the world. Guys, there's some stuff going on in the world. There's a lot of stuff going on in Hong Kong. Really uh, scary stuff. For refugees that are still trying to find homes. Struggle in the Middle East. There's 1,300 people missing in Bahamas from Dorian. 1,300 people. I mean, I didn't know that. Like, that's... i got to repent for not knowing these things. For racial healing that continually needs to happen in our country. For elections happening all over the world. For the family of this pastor who committed suicide this week. our nation leading up to an election where things get particularly ugly and partisan God will you help us as your people to be wise, to be educated to be discerning and to not bite that fruit for our local community Smyrna, for this mayor's election that's coming up, help us to be invested, um, but to not put our hope in people. Our hope is in you, God. But teach us how to navigate that and care about people in our local community. And for those in this community who are suffering and in trouble, if you'll pre please raise your hand. If you are dealing with any physical sickness, mental, emotional, or you know someone who is. God, will you see these hands and the hearts represented and want you guys, if you have your eyes closed to look around, you guys keep your hands up because I want people to be able to pray for you. God, will you remind us of people in our community who are going through hard things and that we would speak your name, speak their names to you this week, God. And for those of you that are going through things or know people, you are not alone. You are not forgotten. And he has not forgotten you. So God, will you raise them up on wings of eagles and let them soar? And so, God, we love you. 
we bless you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We, I'm going to share just a little bit about Sarah's sabbatical. She, she, who was not here last week? Sarah shared that, for, and we're going to post this on my feed and um, in the weekly and on the Facebook prayer wall. She shared her, how she, over the past really 20 years in ministry is how long we've been in ministry, um, some really deep things and some really deep revelation God has brought her into how to, to become more healthy. And she made, last week she made a massive step and she got up and she was extremely honest about why the motives for doing what she was doing and I was really proud I thought she might have just gotten up and been like stepping away it's been a tough season but she was like no here's the nitty-gritty and she gave it to us and so I was really proud of that and but what does that look like for her going forward so she'll still be a part of our church she's not dipping out for six months Um, she's we're gonna have some really great things in place for her to help her but what we ask is that she can take off the hat of a pastor for six months and this is what I know. Everybody's like, let's just hang out and you're not pastor. And, and that's good, but it's really hard. That was one of the things she shared. It's really hard for her to do that. So she's going through a season where she's learning how to just receive from God. So if you would like to bless her, love on her, pour into her, all of those things are great. She'll be here on Sundays, except for once a month. She'll be visiting other churches, not to take them over or to change our church completely, but to just be in a spot where she can be filled. Very important. She will this time, during this time, have a lot of space during the week to write, which is one of her passions. I don't know if you guys know that. She's an unbelievable author, and she's written blogs, but she hadn't had the space in years. But when she does write, it's like, yes, we should be reading more of this. Who's read something of hers and thought, yes, we should be reading more of this? Yeah. So hopefully by the end of the six months, God, this is the goal. Not that she becomes a genius in something or that dives so deeply into some content that she learns it, because that would be what she would do, but that she feels so surrounded and loved by God that he has reframed the way to do ministry. And here's just, and I'm going to share just a moment about this. To do ministry in America today is one of the hardest environments ever. In the past year, three people, three senior pastors have taken their own lives. Yesterday, when last week when she shared, this is incredibly, I'm still praying about how God allowed this to happen, but I was on Twitter And I was noticing a friend of mine posting something, and this person attached a comment on the Twitter feed. And I saw him, and I was like, this guy looks interesting. I went to his site, went to his church, started to instantly get jealous. Like, this guy's got 90,000 Twitter followers. I don't want that. That's too much to handle for sure. But, like, the enemy started working on me about comparison. And I saw this guy, and I was like, man, this guy's got a massive church. It's like 10,000 people. And this interaction with me and this person for an hour happened. And by the end, I was like, God, I know that's not. That's not what I'm supposed to do as a pastor. And I'm living out what God's called us to do. Like six hours later, this guy took his life. And he, so this is the truth about the people around you. And I'm going to share this very clearly. He went to his son's baseball game. He baptized two people on the Saturday. He went home after the baseball game. And within two hours, he was, he was on. He was, he was gone. So there is weight. And this is the same day that Sarah shares with you guys about being honest about what she needs to, fi- to be filled. 
And so I think God is really speaking to us about how to walk in a healthy way. If you're going to be in ministry, if you're going to be in counseling, if you're going to be in service work, if you're going to be a firefighter, a policeman, all of these carry so much trauma with them, trauma that's non-typical to most people. If you think about it in your life, you probably carry two or three massive traumas a year. In some professions, you carry that every single week, especially in mega churches even in small churches like, like ours. So I, I just want to say this. If you have people in ministry around your life, reach out to them. Love on them. Encourage them if there's something that you can find. Find something, even if you dislike them. Ask if you can step in and help them. If you have a family member that's in any of those, do something to show them that you can see them. Because most of us try and hide it until it's too late. Right? Does that make sense? Is that too far? That's truth. So, so Sarah's stepping away. This is her final Sunday, and then she's just coming to church. So when you see her, you get to hug her. You can high-five her. You can fist pump her. You can do whatever you like within reason, and that's kind. Um, but I just want to, I want to end before we transition into meet and greet by saying thank you for the way that you've handled it. Um, I don't know how many people reached out. I don't know how many people are, were weeping when they heard because they know how important she is, and they know that this is very important. So I just want to say thank you, and I'm honored to be leading a body that operates that way. It's She actually said, for us to do what we know we should do, she has to do this, because she can't just talk about it. She has to live it out. And for some of you, God will be leading you into something similar, a season for you to get healthy, a season for you to look at what's underneath and let him in. So let's just pray for her, if you don't mind. Um, Jesus, this is uh, Sarah's last Sunday as, as wearing a pastor hat for at least six months. So I ask that you would allow her to not bite the apple of trying to find identity in some other work tomorrow, but to settle into the space you're creating for her, and that the body of Christ would surround her in a way, and that we would see people step up and step in to help, in kids ministry, and greeting, and serving, and giving, and all these things would take the burden off of Sarah, and, and I just pray that this would be the start of almost like a revolution, Jesus, that she would be the first fruits, the John the Baptist of taking this kind of step and making hard decisions, and we thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, good morning, everybody. All right, I'm going to jump in uh, with a prayer, and um, then we'll, we'll start. So if you'll bow your heads and pray with me. Creator God, you form us on the wheel of life as a potter molds the clay. Shape us into holy vessels, bearing the mark of your wise crafting, that we may remain strong and useful through years of faithful and obedient service. In Christ's name, amen. All right, so today uh, we're going to be talking about mission because I am talking and this is what I talk about. I am going to be that nagging voice in our community that's always reminding us to think outside of this to the people beyond here. And um, I think even with Sarah stepping away, I think about, you know, like the voices of our community. And I really think God has been crafting and shaping me on that potter's wheel for a long time. And I feel a lot more confidence, I think, at where I'm at in life now and realizing that 
the voice that I have and the voice that God's called me to speak into this community is that. It's going to be this voice that is constantly trying to pastor the people that don't have a pastor, right? The person who's trying to be an advocate for the ones who are outside of here and constantly reminding us to be seeking the lost, whatever that means, which we'll talk about today. And I don't want it to be something that just adds pressure to us, which I think is often the conversation when it comes to mission. Like we are, you know, just, you have to go out, you have to do it, you have to do it. And I think that the psyche of the way that most Christians work today, that we're talking in a language that actually doesn't make sense to us about reaching people in our community. Even language that we use, even language used in the Bible, we read a lot about sinners today and we immediately put up a wall so I think that that's the voice. Like even in terms of the way we read the Bible, like I read the Bible a lot different than a lot of people because I read the Bible through a missional lens. Like I, I see everything from Genesis to Revelation being something that is constantly pushing us outside of here while at the same time valuing the space that we have together. So uh, there's a guy named Richard Nyberg, and I've said this before, but he talks about the role of the Christian ministers to hold a newspaper in one hand and a Bible in the other. And I think that that's the role that I'm supposed to play here, right? To be this person, because, you know, a newspaper, it's, it's the wheel of life. It's constantly spinning the clay. And that, you know, sometimes we allow the potter, like us, like we allow the potter to shape us. But in many respects, people outside of here do not have that, right? The wheel just keeps spinning. I asked Jen this week, who did the pottery over here last week, I said, what happens if you don't ever add water or a potter doesn't ever touch the clay. Like if you, get it, if you get it set and nothing happens, and as you would probably guess, it just hardens. It just dries out and it becomes useless. And I think that that's what happens in the wheel of life and the things don't stop, right? Like you're gonna wake up tomorrow morning and it's, the sun's gonna come up again and life keeps going. And most of the world has no answer to what to do the next moment, but we have an answer. And we have a person that's shaping our lives. At least we have the tools to, whether we do it or not. But at least we have a means by which that can happen. So I want to invite us today to hold the newspaper in one hand, the Bible in another. We're going to do that. So I want, I want to start by reading some statistics, some sociological research about where the church is um, in terms of growth and I think that if we can sit and look at where are we really and be really honest, it's going to be really hard because we're going to find that things are, you knew things weren't great, but they're probably worse than you think they are. And scripture tells a different narrative and we have to live in the tension of how to interact with our community. So I want to start by just reading some statistics and we'll kind of go through, there's a number of them. So the first one And this is all in the United States. 85% of churches are stalled or declining. All right, so next, the next one. Out, so the, out of the, those, that 15% that are growing, 14% are growing from transfers. So that means that essentially you've created another way to attract people that is better than it was before, and people are just kind of going through the motions and kind of bouncing around to different churches. Next one. 
are growing from conversions, which is startling. Like, this is the call of our, our lives, right? 96 churches are closing every week. 20.4% of Americans attend church, which is probably a lot lower than we would think. That's shocking. 38% of Atlantans are post-Christian or unchurched. So that would mean that they either do not believe in God or practice the Christian faith. 38% of Atlantans. 95 to 97% of people believe that part of the Christian faith is witnessing about Jesus. Right? So we, that's pretty universal. Like we all read scripture, understand our lives in a way that we must be doing that. It has to be happening in our lives, right? Like the worship journey that forms us sends us out. And that's pretty standard. We all believe that. Next one. 47% of Christian millennials find evangelism to be morally wrong. <laughs> that's confusing, right? And so Gen X, 27%. So we're seeing a rise in terms of the millennials and Gen Z is going to be worse than 47%, but we're seeing a, a really high rise more than ever in terms of the way we see the people outside of here. And we already aren't doing well, and we are seeing the world in a light that we, we're not going to do anything about it is essentially where we're at. So this is a really big problem. Next. 62% of non-Christians say they are open to talking about faith matters with someone who listens without judgment. So we don't want to go out there, but people are actually willing if we know how to do it. Next. 34% of non-Christians know Christians that will discuss faith matters without judgment. So there's, there's this gap and I think that if I can just kind of summarize all of these statistics, it's simply like we have a really serious problem, right? Like we're not, I mean, I'm thinking about my kids. Like there's not going to be a church in 20 years. It's going to be much smaller than this. It's going to be a church that is very siloed. I mean, and if actually, if you look at the trajectory of the longer in cultures, the longer Christianity has been there, the the worse off those cultures are. Like in the West and in the UK, these statistics are much worse. And then in the Northeast, where Christianity started in the United States, is way worse than where we are now. So this is a trend that is going to continually move towards us here in Atlanta. So we're not exempt from this, and we can already see the trajectory of where this thing is going. So I think that I'd like to start to offer some solution, not that I have the solution, but to at least take a step in the right direction, hopefully. So I think that some of the problems that we have are on an individual level, that we don't really know how to relate to our neighbors. We don't know how or when to have faith conversations. And even maybe a step back is we don't really know what sin is or what a sinner is or a non-believer. So we, we have a hard time like identifying who that person is beyond here. And I think that that's more common among my generation. We're 
We're confused on how to build belonging, but not enable behaviors. And we don't know how to be non-judgmental. I mean, that, that the world is telling us that in these statistics. So it's at an individual level, but it's also at a church level, right? So, you know, the church has used a myriad of different avenues for reaching people beyond the church in history. Some of those things that are probably more common among the Gen X population here, stuff like apologetics, door-to-door evangelism, revival meetings, street preachers. These things, they worked well, actually, uh, for a long time in the church, and they've run their course in a lot of ways. Uh, People are not responding uh, in, in a lot of ways to these types of evangelism anymore. And, you know, if you look historically in the church, an avenue that we had for evangelism was we would create these amazing cathedrals, and they were so awe-inspiring that they would attract you to the presence of God. And so that was historically for a long time until the Reformation. That was the way that people interacted with that sacred space. And even like, I mean, I think in my generation and things that, you know, a lot of us have been turned off to at this point or are, is the attractional church model. Like we're just gonna, we're gonna attract people to a concert and make it like the world so that people will come in. And we're finding that that's not really working either anymore. So we are at a crossroads in terms of of the history of the church of how do we even grow? How do we do this? Because we live in a society now that is coined post-Christian because we are at a spot where people are now looking at Christianity from hindsight, right? Before this wasn't the case in terms of paganism, it was Christianity is new. Now Christianity is new and it's run its course. And now I can look at it and I can critique it. And that is a different world that no, no other culture in humanity has had to deal with this. So as churches, we have done a few different things to deal with this. And I'm gonna offer some, some ways that I think that we've done it wrong. Number one is, and I think this is probably most true of our culture, is that we've catered to me Christianity. So instead of like we read our Bibles as if we're the lost, and so, you know, like we sing a song like Reckless Love, which is about God leaving the 99 and going to the one, and we become the one. And all the while, the one is actually out there. But we replace and we make all of our, even our songs are about us and me. And we've removed the other because we don't know how to deal with it. We've created like 150 different small groups to be able to interact with every section of your life so that you don't have to be out in the world. Like we've recreated the thing that the world actually offers. Like I think the world actually offers something that we need, which is connection and community, but we have siloed it into the walls of the church to recreate it, which it's not actually satisfactory in a lot of ways. Like we need something that they have. We have, yeah, we sing the song. We've, we've, darkened worship settings, right? So that we can kind of interact on an individual level. And like, this is what happened when the Reformation happened. The Reformation was a spot where the church for so long was telling you, this is what you believe. This is what you do. This is how you interact with God. And then when the Reformation came, it was, hey, you actually can believe for yourself that God is real and he has a personal relationship with you. And that is great. And at the same time, uh, Gutenberg created the printing press. And so then Bibles started to be handed out to people. 
and they actually had access and could start, and this is why denominations just go skyrocket after the Reformation. And so we've been, we've been on this trajectory towards individualism, right? It's a product of the Enlightenment. And so we cater to the meat Christianity. And then I think that another thing is we just, we, we take the low-hanging fruit. So like we know that at least in Atlanta, we can grow a church based off of, you market it well enough, you can be one of those churches that grow by transfer. And so it's just the low-hanging fruit and we do that. And I don't think that that's necessarily the call of churches to just cycle people as everyone else is dwindling. And did you know that actually in Atlanta, there's a 15% attrition rate on churches so that we are, we are constantly losing 15%. I mean, you have to grow by 16% to even continue existing as a church. So another thing we do is, which is, I think is maybe less common in our circle, but we just resort to moral relativism, right? Like, there is no sin. There is, we, we just bring it down so much and we use, we can use table language to talk about this is, there is no walls here. There is no right or wrong. It is just, it becomes universalism. And I think that none of those really offer the right solution. And so I want to propose that it's like just something has to change. Something has to change in the way that we see the world as individuals. And something has to change in the way that churches operate. Because in many respects, the way that we do church has beginning to run its course. Like it works in some respects, but we have to re-envision. And that's why we do the table downstairs. It's it's not that we have the solution, but it's like we're trying to figure out something. And churches have got to start trying new things. And, and they are in, in a lot of respects. And in, in the UK, you're starting to see churches are revitalizing and trying new forms of church. But this has to be a shift. And I think that we are in this a reformation level shift in the way that churches see community. And I think that it goes beyond just being able to say it on a Sunday morning and rally people to an event. But I think it's a putting on a new set of glasses. Like we have to see things differently than we have before. So I want to do that today by looking at a passage in Luke chapter 15 about the hundred sheep and leaving the 99 and going after the one. And so I'm going to try to offer at least some steps towards a solution. So if you'll pull this one up. I'll read here and you guys can read behind me. Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to him being Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying, this fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them, which this is just normal for Jesus. He's at a table with people and it's offensive. So he told them this parable, which one of you having a hundred sheep and losing one of them does not leave the 99 in the wilderness and go after the one that is lost until he finds it. When he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders and rejoices. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors saying to them, rejoice with me. For I found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Or what woman having 10 silver coins, if she loses one of them, does not light a lamp, sweep the house and search carefully 
search carefully till she finds it. When she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me for I found the coin that I'd lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. So if you'll humor me, let's remove ourselves as the one. All right, now, and I think in a lot of respects, we are the one, like God is chasing after us. But for the sake of conversation, let's, let's imagine ourselves as the 99 and the one as somebody out there that we don't even, we're still having a hard time identifying who that is, okay? In this passage, Jesus is, I think, revealing a couple different things I'd like to point out. Number one is that there is a divine urgency to find that person. That it is, it is not just an urgency, but there is a divine preference, a divine focus on this. I've got to leave behind this for that. And now God is omnipresent, so he can be fully with us and fully outside. And so there's not that limitation that we have. But there is a divine preference and focus and passion and urgency to find that person. This passage says that he, he goes after that person. He it says that they search carefully for that person. And so I think that we can hear that and we say, well, this just feels like pressure because I don't understand who that person is. And so I think we need to take a step back. And I maybe would ask the question, how do we know and identify who the one is? And in this passage, there is this, these kind of these two buckets. There's 99 saints and a sinner. And the, i joked around this week that the worship journey was going to be saints, sinners, and the seats at God's table. And I was going to offer another worship journey, which was 99 sinners, but a saint ain't one. You know what I'm saying? By 50 cent. If you don't know the reference, you are one of the saints. <laughs> so, we have these buckets that, that God, that, that Jesus is kind of putting people in, right? There's, there's these, there's 99, the company of the righteous, and then there is the one that is on the outside. But maybe now we need to take an even further step back and say, well, what is sin and who even sits at God's table? That is a question that we've got to understand. And what is even the role of God's table? Like, what is the role of this space and how does that interact outside of there, outside of here? So I'd like to show you um, a painting. We'll start with, well, I've got two. You guys are probably all pretty familiar with this one. This is uh, The Last Supper. This is God's table. Da Vinci uh, painted this, and it's very uniform, right? Uh, it's strange that they you know, placed all the table settings on one side. I don't know why that happened. But you know, this is a very organized, nice table. And I'll show you another picture. This is a picture, it was written, it was painted by uh, Paulo Veronese about 70 years after Da Vinci's. And uh, the Roman Catholic Church, he actually called this as the Last Supper, and the Roman Catholic Church said that he couldn't call it that. Um, that it didn't actually depict the Last Supper, Da Vinci's depicted it better. And uh, it was just a little bit too messy for them. The question that they asked Paulo Veronese was, why have you depicted buffoons, drunkards, Germans, dwarves, and other like fooleries? Anybody know some other like fooleries? 
So he actually ended up having to change this to the feast at the house of Levi. So that's what you can find this painting under. But this was the Last Supper, and there's like a dog in the front. It is the messiest table, right? And Jesus is at the center of it. And I think that like this kind of gets more at the heart of, of what God's church and God's table is meant to be, is this real mess of saints and sinners combined. And we're kind of uncomfortable with that, but it's, I think if we even use that language of the potter, like it's these, it's these people who have the tools to be shaped by the potter, and then there are those who don't have the tools, and all of those people are at the table with Jesus if they want to be. And that is, it's like, I kind of keep picturing like there's these two baskets of laundry, like we, you know, separate our whites and we separate the colors. And I don't do laundry like that. Like I just throw them all in there, you know? Um, but like, I think that that's kind of how God does laundry. Like we just throws them all in and he's just like, you know, it's going to sort itself out. Right. Which I think is really what happens. Right. So there are not these buckets. I, th I think that maybe the right answer is there's not 99 saints and a sinner. There are 99 sinners who know they're sinners, sinners, and then there's Jesus. Does that make sense? So I think we kind of see this in Psalm 14, which is, another, which is we read this at the beginning of service. I'll read a few verses out of this. Fools say in their hearts that there is no God. They are corrupt. They do abominable deeds. And we immediately put people in the bucket. We're like, yeah, those atheists, there is no God. Then he says, there is no one who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on humankind, all of humanity, to see if there are any who are wise who seek after God. And they've all gone astray. They're all alike perverse. There is no one who does good. No, not one. Oh, so there's this, he starts going, we immediately go, we stick people in the bucket, we say, there's no God. That's, the, that's what sin is. And he's like, well, what is worse? Those who say there is no God or some who say there is, that there is a God and act like there isn't, which is more like us, right? So we might be the ones who need, maybe we're the one, I don't know. And I think, I think as I've studied this more and more, I'm like, there are no buckets for God. It's just not how he works. He doesn't compartmentalize and categorize people like we do. He puts people at a table with Jesus and Jesus sorts things out. It says this in 1 Timothy, another passage today at a lectionary. The saying is sure and worthy of full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. We are the sinners. And I think we have to take a look at what is it real. And I, I think that some of you may be hearing me and say, well, you're, you're fading a line that is needed. And I think we have to maybe reevaluate what is it, what is God's table? What is God's church? And I think we've been trained to think that God's church is, is God's heaven. And that's actually not true. This is not the space where you get a ticket that says you are saved when you walk in the door. This is a space where things are sorted and then we will find our final judgment. And this is not the space for that. Like church membership is not heaven's membership. This is not your citizenship in this space is not your citizenship later. There are plenty of people in here who will, who will never be able to see the pearly gates, but there are plenty of people out there who will. 
And this is, this is the, the confusing part of how God interacts with us, is that this space is a tool to be used. We are here sorting out our salvation with fear and trembling. So, if we travel down that path, right, like if anyone or everyone can be at God's table, then how do we identify the one? And so I, I think that Jesus provides this really well. You look through the Gospels and you see Jesus interacting with a lot of different people and people who are in different buckets, right? So you have women and men, Gentiles and Jews, sinners who were often lepers or prostitutes, you have the sinless, you have the poor, you have the rich, you have the tax collector, and so on. And some of these people, like you can tell when I read those things, who the people Jesus interacted with, right? Like women, Gentiles, sinners, poor, tax collectors. These are the people that Jesus that sat at Jesus's table. And some of those people are in that bucket because of their identity, Simply by being a woman in his society, you had less of a chance of being in the potter's hands. Just by simply being poor, being a leper, you had, there was just part of your identity. And so Jesus came to set the oppressed free. But there's also people at, at, these, at God's table who did behavioral things that were sinful and they were still at God's table. So we have both people who are acting who are isolating themselves through sin and people who are isolated by their communities just for being human. So all of the things that these people have in common are that they are isolated, that they don't have belonging, that they do not have the tools to be shaped by their creator. And these are the people who Jesus identifies as the one. It's not the people who are acting in sin necessarily. While sin does separate us, there is a deeper thing happening. Like I love, Josh gave an analogy in our staffing this week. It's like that iceberg idea, right? That there's at the top of the iceberg, there's these behaviors or identities that we carry. And these are the things that we see. But underneath the surface is this great piece of ice that has all of these other things. They have hurts, insecurities. There are habits, beliefs, desires. There are things. And what is fascinating to me is that we as Christians, I'm curious of why we judge others based on their behaviors and judge ourselves based on our beliefs. Like, I think that this is a problem. We're willing to, to let God see that the, what is under the water in ourselves, but we're not willing to have the conversations to figure out what's under the water in another person. So we've get, we have to reframe the way that we view the modern one the person who is outside of here. And it's not because of a behavior that they've done or a way that they have been treated by their society. It is by, do they have a space? Do they have belonging? Are they isolated? And I think some of those people are in here, right? Like some of you raised your hands when Sarah was praying. Like there is this sense of like, I feel isolated. I feel like things are hard. And so, yes, you are the one. And this can be the space in which we practice finding the one. But at the same time, we, are, we go to work, we do the things in our communities, at our kids' soccer games, and these, there are ones all around us. I, I am, the more I get in touch with American culture, the more I realize how isolated people are. Like we, 
are the most isolated culture ever. I mean, it's, and it's becoming truer and truer the younger generations. Like, like social media has become this, this trap of isolation while you have the surface level feeling of connection. But we are extremely isolated culture. This, we are the people that Jesus would be seeking out. We are the people. And the people out there have no access to the tools. Like there's books up here that are like, here are disciplines to interact with, to interact with God. And those outside have nothing. The wheel of life is just spinning and spinning every morning. And I think that there is this like divine compassion that God has for that person. And that we are called to, to not be their judge, but to be the person who feeds them, to be the person who sits at a table with that person. So we must discover these deeper places in people. And, and Jesus gives the example. He says, look, I will bring you to the table and this is where I will begin the conversation. So Jesus creates belonging. Like he invites them to his table or goes to theirs. He gives them belonging. And then he finds out what is the iceberg underneath. What is the deep undercurrent that drives the reason that you act and live the way that you live? And then he heals. He heals that deep place. And it, he heals it through the table. And so we must find ourselves daily chasing the one. And it doesn't mean we chase them with a Bible and hit them in the back of the head. We chase them with our tables. We chase them in the same way Jesus has chased us, by inviting us in, and even while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And even while people out there are sinners or are isolated from God, that we might give them a space at our table. And so I, I think that this needs to happen at an individual level, but also at a church level. Um, you know, like Jesus said, like, they will know that you are my disciples by how you love one another. How will they know how you love one another if you never leave? If we don't have spaces in which the community interacts with us together, right? And most, what we're finding is that fewer and fewer people will interact with this space. This is not a space that, and you know this because you've tried to invite people to church and they don't come. So you're familiar with this, but they, so we've got to create new ways in which church communities interact with communities and have shared spaces, have common places. So this is why we've started the table is we've tried to create common places where we as a community can now interact with those outside. Because now when you have a relationship, like bring them to something that the table is doing that's non-combative, it's not overly Christian, and then you can invite them and sit down with someone who also is in the hands of the potter. And then there is, begins to be a breaking down of this is not just behavioral, there is something deeper happening here. And people can then see how we love one another. So tables are not just places we eat at, they're the common places in which we have conversation and relationships are able to be formed. So I want to, like in March, we had a event at the table where we, with many of you, and many of you gave ideas about common places that you feel like we should be interacting with our community. These are some of the ideas that came out of that. Caretaking support events, divorce support events, physical mental health events, cooking workshops, survivors of sexual abuse meals, poetry slams, 
artistic events, date nights, game nights, cultural potlucks, racial reconciliation events, faith conversation nights, events to care for widows and orphans, events for the elderly, singles nights. Amen? Sports watch parties, community yard sales, Pokemon Go parties. Cool. Social meetups, gatherings for Smyrna law enforcement, financial courses, job training events, events for free professional headshots, skill teaching workshops, graphic design classes, concerts, community meals, homelessness resource events, after-school tutoring, English classes, ACT, SAT prep events, affordable housing events. These are things that are genuinely happening in our community, and every one of you knows somebody who would be a part of something in that world, right? These are all things that are on that wheel of life that we are all interacting with on a daily basis. And these are ideas that our community already has. And so our wise council has given us the opportunity in the fall to do a few events. So I wanna share with you some of the events that we're gonna be doing and that you can invite people into. So the first one is this Parenting the Love and Logic Way this Friday. The second one is an Enneagram 101 workshop. So we're real excited about that. And if you don't know what the Enneagram is, it's like a personality, um, what do you call it? Personality thing? Cults, yes. Personality cults. There's a financial course we're going to be doing called Simplify Your Spending and Saving Strategies. Uh, So these these are just some things that, first off, we probably need a lot of this stuff, right? We're all like, yes, I need that. And also the people in your community need that. And this is not a place like just blow up your social media feed and be like, everybody come to this. But genuinely identify the one in your brain who's isolated and think, how can I bring them to these things so that the love that we have for one another might be seen to the world? Amen? So I've already shared with you some of the needs that we have. We had one person sign up, so I need more. If you are a photographer and that's your gift set, I'd love to have you come take some pictures. If you would help with childcare, I would love for it to be non-parents, non-parents. So if you are single, have already had kids that are older, it would be very helpful to have some childcare. And I also need people who um, can like really like man a room, like take charge. If you're that person, please sign up. And then anybody who can do like host hospitality type stuff. So come and sign up. And I want to, in closing, just imagine in our brains what it might be like if as a community, we took the resources we have and just tried something new for a little bit. Like what if in the fall, we sought after the one in our brains and said, I'm gonna go after and chase after and search carefully for this person who is isolated in our community. And I wanna invite them not only to table events, but to your tables to the tables in Atkins Park or wherever it may be, if we actually sought the deeper conversations, the undercurrent of what causes behavior, and then what I would love to see is that if we actually used Alpha in February, like I would love to see Alpha filled with people that you were inviting people to. That is like right now it's been like the numbers have been low. And I think that we have to change the way we see our world. Like this is a People are in dire need of having genuine faith conversations. And it's, we just read 62% of people will have that conversation if you just won't be judgmental towards them. So have the like be okay with it because actually the community will respond well. We just have to be brave enough. 
So um, if you guys would all stand. I want to pray for you. And uh, as ministry teams are up here, maybe interact with this in a way Consider yourself, like, are, do you feel like the one? Are you currently feeling isolated? Uh, you might be the one that w- may want to come up and receive prayer. Are you desiring that God would give you a new set of glasses to view your neighbors and your community in a new way? And just do you need bravery? Like, let some people come around you and pray for you in those ways. So God, I thank you for a word that never, that doesn't come back void, But God, it also doesn't let us be absorbed with ourselves. Thank you for a a word that pushes us to the spaces that are uncomfortable. God, that you would guide us. God, even in our mind's eye, God, that you would help us to label those who are isolated and broken. That those who are hungrier, hungrier and hungrier, the deepest conversations. God, give us the bravery to break down barriers. God, that we might use whatever it may be, God, whether it's food or parenting or the Enneagram or finances, God, that these things would propel us into a space where walls can be broken down and conversations can be had. God, that you would, as a community, change the way we see everything. And God, that it might ultimately reveal who you are to us in this world. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, uh, we're gonna close. I'll pray for you. Um, Thank you for responding. Really appreciate it. Um, Jesus, be with us this week. God, I pray that this community would feel such belonging in the potter's hands. God, that you might form us into your people even more. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you again for joining us today. And please visit our website at rivercitysmyrna.com.